Hello, listeners. Uh, welcome to King of Pro Wrestling Podcast. Uh, this is going to be a special episode, a very special episode. Um, Paul and I have had a heck of a time um, scheduling recently in between, you know, new-ish parenthood for me and work schedules and uh, Paul was was ill this past weekend. It's been difficult for us to uh, square away the time we need in order to talk about destruction um, which we are chomping at the bit to do. Uh, Lots of great stuff to talk about. We touched briefly on some stuff at the end of our last episode in particular the tag match with uh, Ishii and Osprey taking on Ibushi and Omega which was just I mean, probably one of the best damn tag team matches of the entire year anywhere. Um, So we would love to be able to go more in depth about a lot of the stuff. Uh, Some of the Young Lions stuff has been uh, exciting. And uh, seeing Yota Suji in particular um, start to you know, really find his place, uh, has been, has been awesome. Um, and, and, and then of course the Ishii Omega title match, uh, Naito and Suzuki, um, and the upcoming Tanahashi and Okada match. There's just a lot of stuff that we want to dig into. Um, but in the interest of getting something out there for our listeners so that we don't go too long without a new episode, um, we've got all this great backlog of content that we've been banking, um, interviews with uh, talent, interviews with um, someone like Matt Charlton, uh, Shining Wizard Dees, um, who has been just an awesome friend of the show between uh, not only um, appearing with us, but also uh, donating uh, a commission for the winner of our trivia contest at StarCast, uh, which was you know, very successful. We had a lot of great entries, and you know we were really excited that people came to the table that saw the artwork. We're very excited about the artwork. Uh, some of them knew of, of Matt's artwork, which was very cool. Um, uh, ACH actually was, was really stoked to see uh, the art there. Uh, he just wanted to know where his drawing was, and at that point I said, well, you have to win. Uh, no, I didn't say that to him. <laughs> Although I'm sure Eddie King would have laughed had I. Um, and we're going to have those interviews coming for you. But um, we thought it would be fitting, uh, more than fitting really, to have the interview with not only um, one of the you know more exciting wrestlers on the independent circuit today um, who doesn't fly through the air with the greatest of ease, although he does, he does do some flying here and there, um, one of my favorite wrestlers, a great guy. Uh, he was so open and honest with us about a lot of stuff. Uh, I have a good feeling that we're going to be seeing him in the uh, World Tag League again this year. And uh, he's had a, a really cool year uh, in, in New Japan Pro Wrestling between challenging for the Never Open Weight title um, and just, you know, some, some bangers of matches uh, all over the place. But he is the new 2018 Battle of Los Angeles. Uh, tournament winner for PWG. Um, so we're super stoked to have Jeff Cobb on the show. Now, the interview took place at StarCast, so it was prior to BOLA. Um, it was prior to any you know other announcements that have recently been made. Um, we didn't really talk too much about Ring of Honor. Uh, we focused a lot on New Japan, but we get some really great information, You know, not only about what he's doing, but just kind of behind-the-scenes stuff as far as what goes into matches over there. And we're super excited to be able to have that interview for you. So uh, again, um, take a listen to these two interviews. Uh, we'll start off with Jeff Cobb, 
Uh, it's about a 20 minute or so interview. And then we've got uh, about an hour or so actually with Matt Charlton. And we cover, I mean, tons of stuff between, you know, his artwork, uh, his history with professional wrestling, when he fell in love with New Japan. Uh, we talk about pro wrestling Noah uh, quite a bit as well, which is really cool because, um, you know, as a as a pro Risu fan from the old days, Noah was one of the very first Japanese promotions to have an English language website. Um, and and you know just kind of charting sort of the growth of of uh, Japanese wrestling and, and its exposure to American fans and how that really kind of started you know in the late eighties and early nineties in particular with a lot of the stuff that WCW was doing uh, and tape trading you know got really popular uh, around that time. I mean obviously it had been going on even before then, but uh, it's a really cool conversation. We learned a lot about Matt that we didn't know before, um, and and he you know has some great insights into things. Uh, throws up some, you know, really cool uh, matches that we hadn't talked about uh, and wouldn't normally talk about because they're not New Japan. But um, we really appreciate him giving his time, and we look forward to having him back on sometime soon. And we're thrilled because we're going to get to talk to uh, Chris Charlton at some point as well. Um, his books, Lions Pride, and of course, Eggshells. Um, are, are just two kind of must-have texts if you're a fan, not only of New Japan, but just uh, wrestling in general as far as I'm concerned. Um, so check out these interviews, and please let us know what you think. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter, of course, at KOPW72. Um, you can even shoot us an email if you want to, uh, kingofprowrestling72 at gmail.com. Um, but we got a lot of exciting stuff on the horizon, and we hate to have, have had a little bit of a lag time here, between episodes, but, uh, you know, life kind of takes over and, and, uh, family first, right? So, uh, give these interviews a listen, let us know what you think, and, uh, we'll be talking to you soon. All right, here we are, Paul and Sam, King of Pro Wrestling Podcast, coming to you live from Podcast Row. Uh, we are hanging out with the one and only, the king of Hawaiian strong style, Jeff Cobb. Hey, look, there's a Jeff Cobb t-shirt. Yeah! Wonderful shirt. Beautiful. I have the second one of the weekend. I have a fan, guys. A fan. (laughs) You have two. Two fans. Was the Santos a couple weekends ago, and I was wearing cheesy moms. Oh. And so I had to buy it for him. And so it's going on the cruise. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Um, Sorry. No, no. no. How how cool is that, right? Right as he sits down. Yeah, it's perfect. My favorite Jeff Cobb shirt that I own is the Suplex Things shirt. (laughs) I love that shirt so much. I I was going to do another one for uh, Stranger Things 2 came out, but then... It's like the same logo, so I'm like, eh. Right. I don't think I just add a two on there. And right. It wouldn't make sense. So I just like, It'd just be like a seasonal shirt. You know, you just bring it around yeah, every once yeah. in a while. I'm going to bring know. it back when season three comes out. Which Why not, right? There's going to be a season three. There has to be a season three. Like, the way season three I didn't see season two. Oh. Um, Paul. I know. I'm, I'm late to everything. Well, we'll talk to you later, Paul. Jeff and I have a conversation. <laughs> so, uh, no, it's a, thanks for stopping by. It's an honor to have you on. My pleasure. We're, my pleasure. We're big fans. So we are a New Japan Pro Wrestling podcast mainly. Um, and uh, obviously I've followed your work through AAW and, 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 and the other independents and PWG and everything as well. But um, definitely had a couple of questions we wanted to ask you. Feel free. Uh, about New Japan. Um, first of all, you're like in New Japan you know, for the World Tag League. Then they bring you back and immediately, like, are throwing you into that never-open-weight title picture. And and you have that awesome match with Goto. Um, How was all that for you? It was wonderful. Uh, I've been a fan of 
Japanese wrestling for as long as I can remember. Uh, UWFI was one that I watched a lot just because I liked that um, that sh- that shoot. Yeah. Shoot style, yeah. Um, I thought it was cool. Like there was guys in there that were just being the sh- being the crap out of Vader. <laughs> you can say shit. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna say poop. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, just like that style was awesome. And then I tried to, to use that style. Ah, which I'll pick it up later. But I tried to do that style a little bit. But then I find a lot of people complain that I hit too hard. So whatever. But I can't imagine you hitting too hard. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love the Japanese style. Um, and then I got the opportunity to wrestle in Japan and it's just it, it was everything I dreamed of yeah. like yeah. the fans are amazing the fans are so respectful um, and just it, the whole act, like New Japan is awesome from top to bottom like everybody there they work they're like they're like ants they work <laughs> in a straight line they just work for the 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 whole mama ant thing. this is beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah. The, the drive. Like is there the, a mama ant? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the queen. The queen, right? The queen ant. There you go. Yeah, hey, we'll call it the mama ant. All right, well, let's just change my analogy. We're going to... They work like bees. All right. <laughs> for the, for, the, for the, the, the queen bee that is the company New Japan. Well, that's awesome. As far as... Was there any, like, change of pace for you at all when you went over... I mean, obviously, like, traveling that far and everything, but was there, like, a change of pace at all... For you specifically, style-wise, or working with yeah, the guys who are working yeah, with, yeah, they 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 sell a lot more, yeah, which is beautiful because I feel that's like a lost art. Especially, I mean, I don't want to single out America, but like, like I feel sometimes they go a little too fast, and the art of selling has gone on the wayside. Which I hope there's a, a shift in that because that's what got me. Like, if you watch like the '60s and '70s, and sh- okay, my go-to match to watch. Is Steamboat Flair, Shaitan Rumble. Absolutely. This is beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a work of art. Yeah. And when you watch that match, like Steamboat can sell like a mofo. Absolutely. He's amazing. And then you add Flair, who is Flair. Yeah. And it's, it's a beautiful, like that, is, like, that is literally my go to match. Yeah. Like, if I'm bored and I just want to kill time, I pop that on. Right, there's like an art. They build, they right. build, and they sell. Like now everything now because of TV constraints, it's like rapid fire. They don't. Yeah. Sell the movies, the movies. But then, but then at that same that same token, like on the indies, you're not watching TV. You're working for the people in front. Like, yeah. why are they going at a rapid pace? You know. So I try to do that a little bit different when, with my matches. And yeah. I hopefully like. I don't know if you had a chance to see last night's show with uh, myself and ACH. Yeah. It was wonderful. So, and we sold and we told a story. So, I know, it's heartbreaking. We had front row tickets. But we got them before we signed in to do this. So we kind of had to. Uh, yeah, we had to give them. Yeah, we so we, uh, unfortunately, we couldn't make it. We won't be there tonight either. We're so we're just, we're, we're very, yeah, we're heartbroken. Watch it on demand. That's yeah, right. That's, that's right. AAW is on demand. In fact, that was one of the first shows that they ever did live, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Um, so I wanted to ask you, how was, um, how was your overall experience when, when you come back and you work for New Japan? And then when you come and you work in a New Japan match, go in the United States, when you work in G1 Special uh, it's like, again, it's you go by the audience. Uh, for example, like when we're in Japan, we have a lot, like it's a the tag league was a 19 show tour, yeah. So there's going to be times a lot of it's in Cork and Hall, a lot of it is for New Japan World, and then a lot of it's for um, smaller country towns, which still sell out about a thousand people, yeah. But these these people, how many are you guys expecting? Uh, these 
these oh, these these people aren't. Um, they look like information. Oh, no, well, we're wearing badges. And oh, come, we dress more boots over there, right? Exactly. Anyway, so going back to the story, so <laughs> it's um, the the fans of the smaller towns aren't regular indie fans. Yeah, they're going off of what they see on TV with guys like uh, like Tanahashi. They see him on TV. Um, geez. They see all these superstars that are on TV that not just do wrestling, but like like uh, like shows and cooking shows. And oh, right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So, doing so like talk they're, show appearances Yeah, they're, they're there to see them. Yeah. So they're not necessarily there to see a guy get rain busted eight times. Sure. They're, you know, with that, you change your style a little bit. You're not doing those top row power bombs and, and whatnot, you're just doing a, a nice storytelling match. Yeah. So, um, when I came back to, like, when we did the, uh, the G1 special in the, at the Cow Palace, uh, you kind of have to do a little bit of both, because now we're, it's, a, it's a Japanese, because it was on New Japan World, so they're used to seeing a New Japan style match. Right. But now we got to kick a little American style, too, because we are in there. So, you yeah. find that find that medium, the happy medium. Sure. Yes and no. Um, I've been fortunate enough to work with guys like, like Gato and Rocky Romero and they can they can like, hey listen, this is how and they're so smart. Yeah. So it, it makes my job easier. Sure. Like, like hey you think this will work? Probably not. All right. Yeah. So you know what? That, that brings up a question that I've always wanted to ask. As far as the communication with a guy like Gato goes, and, and putting matches together and stuff like that, um, if you don't mind my asking, how much of, of a say does he have, like in the specific match layout, and how much is it is like you and like Goto going out there and just going? So the cool thing is with New Japan locker room, they're all professionals, so they don't worry too much. They they have like a specific. This is what we need from this match. Yeah. And then go do it. They'll give us free reigns. That's awesome. Unless there's a specific finish they need. Yeah, they need to continue. But other than that, like it's they let us they tell us like we're, we're artists and they come to us and say, We want a picture of you on a buffalo. And I don't say that because buffalo wild is <laughs> And they say, That's what I want, paint it for me. That's awesome. But I wanna make sure you're it's a red saddle. And then, so we do it, but we make sure there's a red side. Yeah. We had the opportunity to talk to Magnum TA earlier this week, and I'd heard some interviews with him where he, like, constantly talked about artistry and the artist, you know, and, and I used to be an actor, and so I've always thought of professional wrestling as an art form, and I think that there are a lot of people that might not necessarily be fans of wrestling that don't think of it in that way, and even some fans that don't think of it in that way, so I love to hear that, you know, that you say that, because to me... It's the storytelling. Like, I don't care what the venue is. If it's a wrestling ring, if it's a theater, if it's a movie screen, you're telling a story that you're an artist. you got to paint a picture. You're just doing it in a, in a different format, in a different medium. You yeah, know? like, you know, again, one of my favorite, or The Dark Knight with Heath Ledger and totally. Joker. If they pigeonholed him and told them, no, we want the Joker this way, it wouldn't have been, I think it would have been good, but not as good as how Heath Ledger had bits and says and this is what I want the Joker to be. I think this we can go this route. So, you know, let let we are, as I said, artists. Let us showcase our artistic abilities. Absolutely. Do you ever feel like have you ever felt the pressure to, to like be a certain way? Like or do you feel like you've been lucky to work in certain promotions and like obviously when you say in New Japan that you've had enough freedom with your character that no one's tried to like enforce a certain rule on you? 
I, I feel, yeah, like, a lot of times, too, they're, they're, they're not, hey, you need to be this or this or this, or just be you, because, again, you know, wrestling, like, there was one time I did a, a football player gimmick out in the Bay Area, okay. and, which got over like a fart in the church because <laughs> and I you stole the stole cold one and I got it. I love but, it. Um, but yeah no like I mean I'll do the best I'll do it to the best of my abilities. But Jesus Christ, I never played football. Sure. Um, and I've been working in the Bay Area as me, so people know me as me, so when I put on a football feel like nobody's gonna buy it. Right. So it was like and I can only do it so much like if I'm not feeling the character like I also did two shows where I was a gladiator. <laughs> I had a gladiator outfit, which didn't make no freaking sense because if you look at my back, there's a, a tattoo of Olympics. Right. Like, what gladiator went to the Olympics? <laughs> so it's just stuff like that. Like, don't put like New Japan is smart. Like Ring of Honor is smart. They don't. They play to your strengths. Yeah. Like, they're not going to be like, hey Jeff. You remember that one time you did a football player gimmick? We're gonna do that here at New Japan. Well, they're not. They're not that dumb. They're smart. They're they're a reason why they're the number two company in the world. Arguably the best company in the world. Absolutely, I think so. so. We're, yeah. Yeah. So there's a reason why because they're not. They don't do stupid stuff like that. Right. So, so I, just just a couple of questions if you don't mind. Yeah, I um, I, I'm curious with the World Tag League. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. We are now being leered at by ACH and Eddie Kingston. And uh, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen here. I'm a little afraid about our equipment and our table. Uh, <laughs> are you sweating too? No, it's hot. I'm sweating like a lion. Thank you. How you doing, man? How you guys doing? It's extremely hot in here. I feel really uncomfortable. I changed my shirt. I think you me. Are we still live? We're live. We're live, pal. We're live. Oh, I can sit down. How much money am I getting for this? None. It's all good, bud. 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 It's all good, <laughs> I, heard, I heard about it. Yes, Pam, Fitchett, and Vega. They just hijacked it. I heard that they were talking while... We're going off on a tangent. It's beautiful. We really are, yeah. It's amazing. So That's what happens. Where were you guys at? We're live. We're getting ready to talk about World Tag League in Japan. Japanese wrestling. The yeah. best Japanese wrestling of all time is 90s old Japan. Ab- I'm at I- King's Road Sound. Get out of here. Yes. Get to Kamashi, the greatest pro wrestler I'm going to live. Thank you. Get out of here. I love it. <laughs> No, Eddie Kingston, I, ladies and gentlemen. I, I think <laughs> the greatest wrestler <laughs> is Alicia Fox. Alicia Fox and Molina. Oh, yeah. The best match. Better than any all Japan matches. I'm kidding. There's no barrels in Texas. Texas. <laughs> wow. That just happened. That just happened. That's just an, an incredible once in a lifetime sort of moment for our podcast. I don't know the last love question it. you just asked. Oh, I was going to ask about World Tag League. Yeah, are you going to be? I'm not at liberty to say until. If I get announced. All right. Yeah. Awesome. One last question for you. I really have to ask this. How much are you going to miss Matt Riddle? That is my bro. <laughs> so. Um, I've gotten along with him, and he has been my bro since I first met him. At, uh, I first met him at a Beyond show. Oh, nice. I want to say it was 15 or 16. 
It was 16. 2016. Okay. And I've been cool with him ever since, and he's been, like, one of my good bros since. Yeah. And then we really met and hung out more at uh, Bolo and two years ago. Yeah, yeah, oh man. Where we had that 10 man tag with a thumb in the <laughs> Now, mind you, there's 10 of us. Do, you, do we have time for a little? So, in that 10 man tag match, they come up with this thumb in the butt train spot. Yeah. Have you guys seen it? I've seen it. I have, but I know I've heard Okay, so they come up with that spot. I'm so sorry. I'm so Myself sorry. and Matt Riddle are. Matt Riddle's an uh, undefeated UFC fighter. Right. I'm an Olympian. Do we really want to stick our thumb in people's butts? We were kind of on the fence on that. So that's what kind of bonded us. <laughs> come to find out. Three minutes. Oh, three minutes after we. Three minutes after we come up with the. No, we don't feel like that. We see Jushin Liger say, "Oh, please, put thumb in." <laughs> so we just say, "You know what? Who are we to say no to this?" Jushin Thunder. Jushin freaking Thunder Liger is telling us, "Please put thumb in butt." I can't say no now. Since then, we've been we've been super cool. Um, there was a point where he was on the floor. I don't know if I can say it. He was trying to figure out what he should do. Yeah. And I felt very honored that he, he asked me my opinion on this, on this situation. Yeah. I said, listen, you're a star. Make your money. You have a family. Support them. Make millions in the world. If anybody, if anybody says, "Oh, Matt Rose in WWE," listen, cares on this? Yeah. If you, if you, if you're over there telling, "Oh, I don't know if Matt Riddle went WWF. He's making all this, or WWE making all this, money, blah blah blah. He's a, he's sold out or whatever." Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. You're not paying his bills. No. Yeah. You're not paying your. You're not paying his bills. Because okay, listen. WWE is going to support him, his family, his kids. And he's gonna, and this, it's gonna propel him that riddle. He's already at the moon, to freaking Mars. Yeah. All right. And back. Yeah. Ten times. No. Go make your money. I'm happy for Matt Riddle. I was very sad that he did because I won't be seeing him as often as I'd like to. Right. He put out a tweet that almost made me cry on the way to the gym. Aww. And then. I just had to text him, and then he's like, bro, I don't know why I'm super emotional today. I was like, bro, I'm going to see you. You're always going to be my bro. There's not going to be a better tag team than the Chosen Boys. There's not going to be a, ba- a more badass, legit team than us. So, listen, you never know. There might be a Chosen Bros reunion. There just might be. You never can tell. You never say never. You know what? I'll just throw out there real quick. I will say that as a New Japan Pro Wrestling fan, there was a part of me that was really hoping that that's where he would end up. Just because, like, some of the matchups. And 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 also, like, being able to, like, team with you again and, like, do World Tag League together, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, man, that would have been so cool. I know. We would have been a really good tag team. (laughs) Thrown together tag team that got a lot of... Negative internet buzz yeah. uh, back in this November, December ish. Look, all I have to say is you smell like pineapple and victory, my friend. <laughs> I know. True that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I can tell you, like I said, we, we were laughing too. We, how much have we marked out? We were talking on Twitter. 
I was so excited, man. I like, I, I, yeah. I, the thing is, is it's like when I first saw you live, it might have actually been in the Jim Lyman tournament where you where you had the final match with uh, with Elgin. And like, I, I seeing you then, I was just like. All right, well, you know, I've seen him in PWG before, but now I've seen him in person, and I was totally sold. And then when I heard you were going to be in New Japan, I was like, well, this is awesome. So we just I, we just hope to see more of you in New Japan, or anywhere for that matter. I do too, man. That's, that's definitely, like, my uh, my immediate goal is to wrestle in New Japan, wrestle in New Japan consistently. Tokyo Dome, Wrestle Kingdom, definitely yeah. is my goal. Put me in a battle royal. I'll toss people over the Absolutely, you yeah. will. <laughs> All right, well, Jeff, thank you so much. We don't want to we don't want to take up too much of your time or anything, but we really really appreciate it. Of course, of course. And honestly, we're doing this thing. Um, you would be the first one. Would you sign our banner for us? Awesome, awesome. All right, so that was Jeff Cobb. Uh, we were on the floor at StarCast, so I apologize if any of the sound quality isn't you know exactly perfect, but we did the best that we could, and uh, uh, he, he, again, was a great guy. We loved the guest appearance by ACH and Eddie Kingston. Uh, in fact, you're going to be hearing from them very soon, uh, sort of the sequel, if you will, to that interview. We had a really great time talking to them. Um, and Eddie Kingston, you know, he brings up a good point about All Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, which I'm still planning on talking about at some point, so keep your ears uh, peeled for that one. Um, next up is Matt Charlton, um, and we're just going to get right to it, so enjoy our conversation with Matt. All right, hello everyone, uh, Paul and Sam here, and we are joined by none other than Matt Charlton, uh, artist extraordinaire, and uh, Matt uh, most recently did the art for his brother Chris's book, Eggshells, which is a history of wrestling at the Tokyo Dome. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Thank you. Thank you for wanting to talk to me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's just start right off talking about eggshells. Um, obviously, the nature of of that book. I mean, there's a lot of ground to cover, and as you know, uh, as I've been reading it, um, your artwork really helps to tell the story. And one of the things that I've loved about it is that it's a great combination of sort of portraits and then you know actual um, you know snapshots, if you will, uh, of, you know, matches that took place on the event. Um, what was your approach like to, to sort of capturing some of that stuff? Um, very much taking the text as, as, a, as a template, um, because really, if you're, you're given, say, carte blanche, it's, it's a little bit dangerous because you can go off, off course and end up working on something that in the end isn't, what 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 the person wants in this case you know what chris wants so in order to give i think the most relevant uh, illustrations or generally going by what he was writing and and looking to him really asking him what he thought was the most significant stuff and who i should focus on um uh, in terms of whether it was more of a portrait of an individual or a more more of an action piece that was that was more left to me to to decide what would fit best according to what he had written did you have um were there ever times where you thought that something else should be in the spotlight uh were there any disagreements as far as what you wanted to 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 draw um 
Yes and no. Yes, because sometimes I maybe thought um, more important things were happening on a particular show or there was something that, that perhaps needed more um, uh, more emphasis or, or I didn't like a particular picture and I thought something else should go in there, but he, he chose uh, or he chose what he chose. Sure. But, but in the end, again, no, because you know, he's he's the boss and he, <laughs> he knows what, what to put in there. So it's so a no, no disagreement for me. I just did what he told me to do. So. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, were, did you have any favorite pieces uh, that come to mind? Um, from the book? Um, uh, yeah, I, I really liked the um, 2005 one. Um, Kobashi and Sasaki. Uh, the problem with that, uh, as as a piece, actually doing it, and it's kind of my fault because I'm incredibly old-fashioned, and it's it's a pen and a paper, and it's a scanned image. So when it goes into the the book, you've got you've got two pages, and of course a little bit is lost in in the middle of the the page as you as you open the book out. Sure. Um, so I, I like doing that, not necessarily so much how it came across. In the book, sure. Um, sure. From the book, I think Ibushi Nakamura. Yeah. Uh, um, towards the end, and I really like, and I'm a, a bit of a mark for the Victor's edition with all the individual portraits of all the winners mm. um, of the Tokyo Domes. I, I I really like that. The problem with that is not not that many people have seen that. You know, sure. I, that's for the the backers of the the campaign, but. No, I, I like all of it. I like um, I like that it exists. I'm, I'm kind of proud to have been involved in it. And it's just anything that I could have contributed to it, you know, it it's just um, I know, dressing around Chris's text because I know, it's such a, an incredibly researched piece. I don't know. It, it's incredible the amount of information that he packs in to each of those chapters. So... Yeah, it, it is kind of amazing the information. Like, especially I know somebody like me that's kind of relatively newer to Japanese wrestling. The amount of information that you have in each chapter is amazing. But I love how the artwork goes right along with it. It gives a visual aid. Like some of these wrestlers that when I first, first sat down, I never heard of, or I didn't know. Especially some of the other, like the non non New Japan stuff. Yeah. But it really does help fill in and gives you a mental image when you're reading this. Like you can picture the wrestler, which is pretty neat. And some of the artwork is, I mean, the artwork is fantastic. There's a couple in here, like there's, um, I don't know what year it was, but the one mood of like jump right out at me. Like they all jump out, but that one was my favorite so far oh, as really I worked through. No, really, really appreciate that. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I have to admit, uh, uh, you know, not to heap on the praise too much, but uh, one of the things that I immediately no, thought. Keep, <laughs> we'll keep heaping. One, <laughs> one of the sure things that I can't help but think as I'm reading through eggshells is how cool it would be to have your artwork accompanying Lion's Pride, which is obviously, you know, a, a bit of a different piece of work, but there are times when I'm just sort of thinking like, man, I would love to see Matt's take on this, or I would love to see, you know, Matt do a drawing of, you know, this particular talent. Um, and, and I think that it, it, it's just sort of interesting now having, you know, gone through Lion's Pride a couple of times and kind of having bits of that book stuck in my head and, and now as I'm reading Eggshells just kind of thinking about what your art would be like if it were accompanying that um, is, 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 is kind of cool to me um, and luckily 
through your Twitter at Shining Wizard D's, uh, a lot of the artwork that you have um, sh- you know, shared on, on Twitter, some of it ha- has even been almost what's in my head, you know, whether it's like a, you know, drawing of Inoki or something like that. It's like, oh, yeah, that would fit well with this chapter or this part of Lion's Pride <laughs> or something. Um, so I, I think that the work that you've done is, is, is quite incredible. And, and, you know, like you said, Chris's research and, you know, being able to have the quotes in particular um, from a lot of the talent, because I think for uh, up until very recently, frankly, with New Japan World, it, it's been very rare for Western audiences or English speaking audiences to have translated interviews with any of the Japanese wrestlers. Um, so I'm... I, I, I don't know. I, I think that the work on both of your parts is, is incredible, but the artwork is obviously a, a wonderful compliment to everything that he's done and all the work that he's poured into it. Oh, thank you. No. Yeah, it, it really is an incredible resource. And, you know, as the, the popularity of Japanese wrestling continues to grow with Western audiences, it's so nice to be able to go back and fill in some of these stories. Because once in a while, too, you'll hear them talk about matches that happened years ago or, or something that happened. And to be able to sit down, and it's funny because it's, it's a great read, but for me, it's like the slowest read I've ever done because I'm taking my time with it. And I found that, like, I can find companion, there's like companion podcasts and stuff to go with each year. So, like, the slower I go, the more I can digest and learn more of the history. Not And, and you know what? It's not, I know it, it focuses just on the Tokyo Dome itself, but it really does paint a broader picture of what the, the wrestling scene throughout the, the years in Japan was. And it's an amazing resource, especially, like I said, for newer fans of the product. It's, for me, um, reading it and, and researching it, some of the most interesting stuff was the UWFI stuff, Absolutely. the battle art stuff, a lot of the shoot, um, which, which yeah, I hadn't delved into before to to the depth that I'd have liked to, but yeah, it, it prompts you to do that. It, it makes you go to YouTube. It makes you look stuff up. And it, yeah. and it I know. Yeah. It, it, it's, it gives you something new to enjoy from something that you think, you know, well, but you don't know at all. And it's, it's, yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. Like I know uh, it, it's nice for me. Cause I actually got it on my iPad. I'm reading it digitally, but like you said, every chapter, as I read it, I can just minimize it and pull up the internet and I find myself like looking on Wikipedia or Google or YouTube for like UW, the UFWI um, or, or different, like especially some of the Joshi stuff. Like I didn't know anything about it and it's nice to be able to just transition right over. So that's why it's kind of a slow read. I find myself doing my own research as I'm reading along with it, which is great. Now, Matt, out of curiosity, we asked you about your favorite piece of artwork, but uh, do you have a favorite Tokyo Dome show that, that's covered in the book, which, I mean, obviously is, is all of them. Um, is there a show that sticks out to you in particular? Um, well, we we just, uh, you were talking about the, the companion podcast to go with it, and um, I did one with him um, about 93, and then we recorded another one for 2005, and I chose that year, 2005, because it has... Um, the the Noah show yeah. um, 2005 and um, I I love the energy and the positivity through throughout that show and it it seems where New Japan is is, is sort of in the doldrums it's not moving forward it's it's got a strange product um, Noah is just just full of confidence full of positivity and it. Uh, although in the end, you know that that was the high watermark for the for the company so far, at least. Um, right. Just just the the entire show from beginning to end is 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 perfect for me. I, I, 
that, definitely the 2005 Noah show. Uh, we should note, too, that we're talking about the the companion podcast that can go along with the book. We will link to it in the show notes. So anybody who's listening to this, if you want to – and like you said, Matt, you're on the I, – I did listen. I knew you were on the 93 episode. I, that's as far as I've gotten. But uh, we'll put a link in there. It is really a great thing to uh, listen to while you read each chapter. Well, I think, too, that, you know, one of the things that that it speaks to is the way that we digest information has changed so much. And to be able to have not only this this book, um, but the companion podcast and like Paul was talking about earlier, the ability to just Google something or go on to cage match or, you know, whatever site that you might be using uh, to check some of this stuff out. And then, of course. You know, there there uh, are avenues for seeing the the actual matches, whether it's on New Japan World or, or YouTube. Some or some Daily legal, Motion some not. Or, well, you know, <laughs> um, but it, it's it's interesting to me that you mentioned that 2005 Noah show because um, we've not had the opportunity to talk too much about Noah. Um, and for me, when I started as a fan uh, of Japanese wrestling, it really. It, it, I, it kind of started with some of the deathmatch stuff just because I feel like that was a lot of people's progression uh, at one time. But uh, I also picked up an All Japan um, tape. Uh, and after that, it w- that would have been probably around 99. And it wasn't too long after that that the split happened. And so following Noah was actually not as difficult because they had an English language website in like 2000, 2001, which was almost unheard of at the time um and a lot of that i think had to do with like harley race or whatever so i was very conscious of of what they were doing and and going into 2005 with the destiny show um i remember not legally uh uh being able to see that show (laughs) um uh not too long after it it, it had aired uh or bits of it aired because i don't think it I can't remember exactly how it aired now. Um, but but speaking of that, so uh, you, when did you become a fan of Japanese wrestling? Um, that's a difficult question. I, the well, I mean, going going all the way back because um, wrestling was on TV growing up uh, in England, um, like uh, World of Sport, mm-hmm. and then that got taken away uh, in the early 90s and got replaced by, or the late 80s rather, and they got replaced by some of the WCW syndicated shows and uh, for a bit, and then that disappeared and then there was nothing and um, I left home relatively young and I ended up moving in with a group of guys um, when I was 17, 18 uh, but they were fans of uh, ECW, they were fans of the more sort of the the outer reaches of wrestling you know where you'd speak to people about wrestling it would be wwe and that would be it right um but through ecw you do get or you did get kind of exposure to people like tanaka and um uh tajiri and um they talk about mike awesome in japan and so that you know opened my eyes to it and then starting um to get into wrestling as, as a, as a, as a pastime, starting to learn wrestling and, and learn to wrestle and, um, to, to kind of go deeper into tape trading. And, uh, I remember getting, and it's a cliche, but I remember getting hold of, um, when worlds collide, the, the big triple a pay-per-view. And I remember getting the, the super J cup, um, the 94 super J cup, because, um, you know, you'd seen in, in all the kind of after magazines that you'd get 
um, you know, pictures of, of Rey Mysterio when they were 16. You'd see um, mm-hmm. Dean Malenko when he was a young man. And so, oh, God, oh, man, these shows must be incredible. Um, so, so they were the first shows that I got hold of when really throwing myself into tape trading and, um, and yeah, just opened my eyes to, to that world. And then, you know, going to training and, um, learning to wrestle and, and trying to do something different and, um, learning moves or, or trying to do moves that nobody else did. So you'd, you'd steal stuff from the early Dragon Gate show. So you'd steal stuff from whatever random Japanese indie you'd seen. So yeah, around the early, early two thousands started really opening my eyes to Japanese wrestling. Did you have a a favorite promotion in particular, or were you just kind of trying to get as much of it as you possibly could? Yeah, no more that. I mean, everything, everything and anything. And it's, it's then, you know, over time you you then go back and you reevaluate what was going on at that time. And you, you view stuff that you've seen, from uh, not not from the same standpoint as when you were a kid and you see it and you believe it and you think it's all real, but you know you've seen this stuff as an adult. But then you go back, having learned who these people are and what they were doing and what was happening politically at that time, and you you reevaluate everything and, and see things through completely different eyes. So no, I mean everything and anything at the time. But now going back, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in the those early Noah shows, um, the early Zero One shows because of how they sat politically with what was happening in New Japan, what was happening in old Japan at that time. So for me, no, really, really interesting stuff. Well, you know, going back to eggshells real quick too, that's actually something, and I highlighted it um, because I'm reading it on an e-reader as well, but I highlighted it in my e-reader. Context is so incredibly important when it comes to wrestling, and I think it is something that gets lost, especially, you know, being in North America, where WWE is obviously the biggest product, uh, context for them changes on an hourly basis. So, so um, to to see, you know, the rich history of a promotion, um, I think it's one of the things that contributed to the success of All In in a lot of ways, is because they've been building some of those things for so long. But uh, I highlighted a passage in the book about Misawa. And the call that he got from Baba while he was in Mexico, you know, saying, hey, come back, we want to put the the tiger mask on you. And I had never heard that story before. You know, I kind of, a lot of what I knew about Misawa had either been before he became a professional wrestler or after he took the mask off. And so to have that, it really added a whole new layer because it was, it, it, it sold it as this was a big deal, which... I mean, I think you could kind of intuit, but to actually read that, it was, it was, I don't know, it was really interesting for me. And I, and I think that once you start to get those little nuances in, and it's one of the things about, you know, Pro Riso in general that is so incredibly important is the nuance. And I think that it's something that gets missed, obviously, in, you know, in North American wrestling. So, yeah, it, it adds a whole new layer of dimension, not just to the characters, but to the people that played them. It really does. You learn more about, like you said, not just the show itself, but what led up to the show, how they they worked, and uh, like how they brought these people in, and what the plans were. It makes it very. It, it does add a whole new level of dimension. It fleshes them out. Yeah, and it, and it, and it's just. I think it's the great thing about watching from sort of a historical perspective. You know, stuff that took place twenty five, thirty years ago, and like you're saying, you have 
now you have adult eyes um, and, and you really are watching it through a new lens and uh, you, you pick up things in a different way. And, and that's been one of the exciting things for me personally when we apologize and starting the podcast is going back and revisiting some of the New Japan stuff that I maybe haven't watched in, you know, over 15 years. Um, there's one match in particular that I'm, I cannot wait to watch again because it's probably been that long since I've seen it and it's the, the Muda... Liger match, um, where, you know, at one point the Liger gets his, uh, mask ripped off and he's got the face paint on and underneath and everything. And it's just such a great moment and you're talking about it. I'm like so jazzed to see it again, but I've been kind of saving it. Um, and I'm curious as to what it will look like through, you know, through my 2018 eyes. (laughs) You've been telling me about that match for at least 10 years. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times you told me I've had to, you got to watch that match. You got to watch that match. And for some reason I just haven't gotten to it. That's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But speaking of matches, Matt, do you have do you have any favorite matches? Like just you know, historically speaking, or any you know, even even current or something like that. It doesn't have to be related to eggshells or a Tokyo Dome match either. Put you on the spot a little. <laughs> yeah, no, goddamn you. <laughs> it's not an easy question, um, man. I, I I would struggle to come up with. Well, stuff. here, while you think for a second, I'll, I'll throw out that like, and you were talking about how the, all the history and everything. Sam got me actually while we were at Starcast. We watched a match in the hotel room that I had never seen, oh, yeah. and it was incredible. Um, does that actually have a name? Do they, is that the match they call the Four Pillars of Heaven match? Well, I mean, yeah, it, it's. It, People have called it for a long time like the greatest wrestling match ever or the greatest tag team match ever. It's the one with um, Misawa and Kobashi versus Kawada and Taui from 95, I think it is. Um, it was amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing match. The, that it, was my attempt to stall here. My match to something. Well, even... No, you know, I, mean, I think at the, at the time, it's something that's still, I mean, going back to the, the idea of nuance and, and again, going back, I think to 2005, um, and no, it wasn't a, it wasn't a dome show. It was, um, and again, it was Noah, it was, um, Kenta Kobashi against, uh, Kenta. It was late 2005. <laughs> and, um, just the, the hubris, the arrogance of, of Kenta against, against the, the it just told such a good story, and it, it's um, it, it captivated not just me because I knew who they were and what was going on, but it captivated the people that I was forcing to watch it with me because <laughs> they, they hated this little prick. It was a, this, uh, <laughs> one wanted to get dropped on his head, and they were you know, these are affable, lovely, peace-loving people who wanted Kenta to die, and it was such a I don't know such. A, very few matches grab people who don't care about professional wrestling because a lot of professional wrestling is geared to prof- all the professional wrestling is geared to professional wrestling fans and this one just just transcended it and um i can't remember the i, I think it was october or november 2005 i can't remember where it happened but yeah. not that yeah well it's you know it's it, it, it and this is something that I, I think anyone who's a fan of Noah would, would understand, but at that time, Kenta was a junior heavyweight. He hadn't, you know, made the jump up to heavyweight, um, which, let's face it, he never really was a heavyweight, but he was wrestling as a heavyweight for a while. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I know the match you're talking about, and, and it's incredible because at that point in time, I mean, Kobashi was, like, was 
the guy. I mean, there was no one. I mean, even Misawa had taken a backseat to Kobashi at that point in time. Um, and, and Kinta was clearly on, on the rise. Um, I mean, you could make the argument that Marufuji ended up eclipsing him. Um, and, and in particular with, with Kinta deciding to go to WWE, uh, at where he's now Hideo Itami for, for anyone who's might not know that, but, um, it's, it, it, it is an incredible, uh, piece of storytelling and not just for that match. And this is the thing I think I appreciate about it so much because it, it adds to that nuance, but for what it meant in the context of both of their careers mm. and where they were at that point in their career. Um, and for me, like I just that stuff like that is is always going to be better than just watching two guys put on a match. You know, you could have a hell of a match together, but when you've got all those storylines leading in and out, it's it makes it so much better. It's the depth, and it, it, it's the depth to the storytelling around it, and it's what you were saying about um, all in. It's it's this rare situation, but yeah, they, they've got this private TV show out on YouTube every week. <laughs> Which which fleshes out the story in the way that they want. It shows you elements of the characters and, and fully explains what was going on uh, for each of those characters going in. It was just this very long story arc which knew its audience incredibly well and and gave everything like a, a satisfying ending. And um, you don't get that very often. And I think that's I don't, the luxury in having one big show. Is that that could be it? That could be the full stop. And then the difficult thing is then starting up and and carrying on. And and the thing yeah. with um, again, say the Noah show in two thousand five, the, the 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 Dome show, that was a full stop. When say New Japan was going through a turbulent time, and you see with the the more uh, the legacy companies, you see with All Japan, you see with New Japan. How, how difficult it is to, to carry on and go through the, the peaks and the troughs of the business and keep it interesting for the book or keep it interesting for the audience when the audience is changing all the time. I mean, they've, they've hit, or New Japan have hit this um, incredible golden seam of talent over the last um, three, four years. You've got some incredible people coming from New Japan uh, connecting with a, a global worldwide audience um, but they won't they won't be there forever and and it's interesting thinking how how they can carry on because they they have to carry on they, they can't just say okay we're done now that's the end of the season so right yeah it, th- that is something you know it's funny I had the um, opportunity to just briefly chat with Dave Meltzer while we were at uh, Starcast and it, one of the things when we were talking about New Japan, you know, he, he interestingly enough, he didn't talk about like, oh, you know, the, the greatest promotion in the world and this is going to last forever or anything like that. He actually kind of put it in context. And the first thing he mentioned was the Von Erics and the Freebirds and, and, you know, Texas and how that was you know, this three year window where everything they did was gold. And it made, you know, after the conversation, I, I just kind of sat there I was at breakfast. And I just kind of sat there and I was like. Man, you know that's a really good point. This could only last 
another year or two. You know, this might this might not be this sort of like new golden age where ten years from now we're still all like you know waiting for our new Japan fix uh, or whatever. It, 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 it could be yeah, fine. Still waiting for Nitro to get the belt. That's it in ten years time. That's right. all I'm waiting for. <laughs> yeah, you hit you hit just hit a very sore spot for me. Very uh, very upsetting subject. I'm a huge Naito fan, and it kills me to watch. <laughs> well, I, so you know, speaking... he's almost better without the belt. No, I mean, uh, it's the it's it's the chase, and it's it's I mean, uh, the thing again. I mean, it comes up in in eggshells, but you know, Chono never had the belt, or I had the belt once, yeah. um, just for a couple of weeks, and um, it's it's still remembered as as the greatest of all time, and um, or one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, I, I'd like to see him just win the belt one more time, only because when he had the belt the first time, I wasn't really a hardcore fan yet. So by the time I got into watching it, like, religiously, he had already, his his reign was over. So I'd like to see him just once come out and toss the belt around and, you know, stomp on it or whatever he wants to do. Knowing him, he could win the belt and not even wear it like he did with the IC title. Like, he doesn't even care. I, I have a feel. There's, I, I still have a feeling that 2020 might be the year of Okada Naito in the Dome, but... We'll we'll see. I, I it's interesting to me because I kind of agree with Matt. I like seeing him chase it, um, but it's interesting that you brought up Chono because when we were talking about the G one uh, doing our preview coverage of it, uh, and Paul was you know picking Naito and a lot of other people were picking Naito to win the G one again. Uh oh, I'm 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 joined. I'm joined by a very special guest star right now. Um, she needs a little extra attention, but uh, I I was. You know, kind of like, no, I just don't see Naito winning. I don't see that happening. And then the thing that made me change my mind was thinking about how what you just said about Chono. He only won that title once, but he won the G1 five times. And it made me think maybe that, you know, and especially last year with Chono kind of almost like endorsing Naito in a weird way. It made me think, what if, you know, what if this is their way of kind of saying like, well, Naito is not going to be the champ anytime soon, but maybe he's going to be a three-time or four-time G1 winner. I don't think anybody's going to win it five times. I, I think Chono's going to get to keep that one forever. I could be wrong, though. I could be wrong. Apologies. No, Hattie, Hattie disagrees. Hattie's, yeah, Hattie, Hattie wants Naito to win the belt and never lose it. <laughs> she wants. She's with Uncle Paul. She wants Naito. That's right. <laughs> um... Apologies there for the guest appearance, but you know it takes it takes a village around here. Uh, so uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it'll be really interesting to see what they do with Naito next because I'm surprised that it seems that they're back into the feud with Suzuki Goon already. Um, I kind of thought that that would be put to bed, but not that it bothers me at all. I mean, I think Suzuki and Naito can have a far better match than the one they had earlier this year. So Yeah, yeah I was yeah. disappointed with that, I think. And um, I don't know. I, I have my fingers crossed for, for Zach and Suzuki at some point soon, um, sooner rather than later, so Zach can have his own little faction of nasty technical wrestlers. I think that that's, that's my dream. Because um, I think... Well, yeah, no, the, the, the Suzuki, Suzuki's having a, a tremendous year. Yeah. And he, just year on year, the man just gets better and better. And, again, he's somebody that just transcends pro wrestling, and the aura that the man has is incredible. And the the disconnect as well between the fact that he is this, this lovely human being... <laughs> 
um, if you ever see him in real life, he's the, the nicest guy in the world. And I was blessed to be in um, Yokohama uh, on my birthday, June 23rd, and I, I got to see him against Okada in a mm. monsoon. Um, nice. Yeah, that was incredible. And, you know, and never to be replicated. And for a while, and we were talking about how you uh, digest uh, information and, and how we digest entertainment for a while... It was a good two weeks, three weeks before it went up on um, New Japan World. Um, videos were banned at the event, so for a while you had to be there to have witnessed it. And that, that was this unusual thing at, at, you know, in, in this day and age. But not to be there with my brother on that day, it was, it was great. But throughout the day, you had Suzuki laughing and, and um, you know, kissing babies, literally. You know, he's, uh, <laughs> starved the community doing this thing for for where he came from um but then yeah the minute the bell rang this nasty evil limb manipulating <laughs> um you wouldn't recognize him he's the devil when when the bell rings yeah um and and that's it i mean and then again that's that's the disconnect between um i think the american pro wrestling japanese pro wrestling because the japanese philosophy is yeah, be as be as nasty as you want when you're in the ring because this is you know this is your sport. This is what you're participating in. But then you're you're good as gold out of it because you're no longer participating in that sport. You're an athlete doing a job. You're not a heel as such when you're not in that arena, you know, or, or when you're not in that uh, context. Yeah, you're you're not that character. Yeah. And people understand that. It's, it's. I think sometimes uh, a lot of people take it. Uh, say Amer- with a lot of American wrestling or American wrestlers, they'll go online and they'll be obnoxious or they'll they'll act act obnoxious in the street and they'll say, "Yeah, but I'm a heel," and and that's how things were in the '70s. And yeah, but it's it's not the '70s, and so it's it's impossible to maintain that that suspension of disbelief because everybody knows and understands what pro wrestling is and the majority of people know and understand what pro wrestling is and the most authentic way to present it is as a as a sport you know, when the bell rings you're doing this because you want to win and that's your particular chosen style of, of winning mm-hmm. and then the minute you're out of that context you're not that person anymore you, you don't have to be that person because you're not competing I love Same. that. It's you know yeah. the two two things I want to throw in there real quick in response to that is that um, Tamatanga obviously has gotten a lot of flack, uh, justifiably so, for the way he's been using his Twitter, which I think goes hand in hand with what you just said. The really interesting thing to me is is Tamatanga at Starcast. I saw him three or four times, and the first time I saw him, I said hi to him. The nicest guy, yeah. laughing, joking, having a great time. Just, you know, so, and, and there's a part of me in the back of my head, it's like, dude, why are you using your Twitter? Like, you know, it's like, you don't have to do that. And you would have really not drawn some of that bad kind of heat on yourself that you drew earlier this year. If you hadn't, if you just stayed with it, if you had just been this guy, you know, but that's, that's his choice. I mean, whatever. Um, I think the other thing. You know, he also had a father that was in the business in the seventies and eighties. So maybe it was instilled in him a little bit more to keep kayfabe, like to to keep your character. You know what I mean? Sure, but I mean the thing is, that I guess the thing is, is the fact that you know, like Matt was saying, here he is in real life, and he's just being 
super nice and fun to oh, be yeah. around. And yet he uses his Twitter like a, you know, like he's just the most awful person saying these horrible things. Um, you, you know, the, the, the other thing that I wanted to, to say is I, Paul and I were talking about this and there's been a lot of conversation, obviously about the WWE and their direction and what they're doing because of all in, uh, or, or not even necessarily because of all in, but just, it's impossible not to compare, um, them and then also with New Japan's um, rise in the United States and 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 sort of you know what what is it about New Japan that's attracting people that aren't invested in WWE anymore? And for me, it kind of goes back to that film Beyond the Mat. There's a point where Vince is being interviewed, and you know the the director's asking him a question about wrestling, and Vince is uh, he's actually like, eating at the time, and he kind of like puts down a sandwich or whatever and he says, well, you know, we're not, we're not making wrestling, we're making movies. It's like when he said that, I'm just sort of like, well, we're done. There you have it. Yeah, there it is. Because it's no longer a sport. Now it's some sort of fictional television program, which is fine. You know, yeah, but it loses some of the like the, the, the audience interactivity. Like back in the day, and, and Vince has even said this himself, the crowd tells you who gets the push. The crowd would tell you who the baby face and who the heel is and who's over and who's not. And now they don't listen to that. They're just determined if their storyline or their t- like movie, quote, TV show dictates that this guy is, is the main event, they're just going to do it. All, you know, full speed ahead, audience be damned with the idea that sooner or later you'll just agree with them. You'll get sick of it and agree with them. And it's all based on T-shirt sales and merch sales. And, and who's buying that is little kids. So I get it from a business perspective, but as a, from a wrestling fan, it just drives you nuts. Hmm. Well, you, uh, the, uh, the finish of WrestleMania was changed because of crowd reaction, wasn't it? Like uh, they were going to have Roman Reigns go over until they got cold feet and they, they heard the crowd. And it got it got changed during the match, no? Yeah, but even if it did, Matt, I mean, what would make them think? Like, a blind man could have saw what the reaction was going to be coming <laughs> months ahead of time. Like, you yeah. sit down and sit down for WrestleMania. It's just like SummerSlam. They just gave you this match again, and they'll build it up. All the whole world's talking about it. Yeah, the whole world's talking about how they didn't want to see it again. So <laughs> they used the whole Braun Strowman out there with the belt just to create excitement and not have booing at the end. Melter was saying when that show went off the air is when the crowd realized the cash-in wasn't going to happen and the live crowd turned on it, but they had already faded to black. They used that. They, if you have to use that at the, to cover up the crowd reaction at the main event of one of your biggest shows of the year, you're not. You're doing something wrong, are you not? Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, and, uh, the, the, it got to a point with, with WWE where because they've got so many talented wrestlers and so many people that I, I genuinely care about because I've followed their careers up to the point where they got there. Absolutely. Um, it's just in the disappointment of what, what happens with them or the, I don't know, something happened there. I'm no longer their target audience. And so, yeah, I, I stopped watching a couple of years ago and I, I kind of read what happens there, but I, I don't, I mean, this no, yeah, that's crazy. If you wanted to sum it up, there'd be a point in time a couple of years ago 
maybe 10 years ago, if you had guys like the like the Young Bucks and Kenny, everybody would want them to be in WWE. Can't wait. I hope they go. Now you have, a, a, I would say, even a majority of the people that watch them don't want them anywhere near that product because they have no faith that they'll use them correctly, they'll push them correctly, and that they'll ruin them. So, I mean, I think a vast majority of the fans are just happy to stay where you are, guys, from a fan's perspective. I mean, I know, we, you know, as from a greedy fan, you know what I mean? You don't want them to go now. Then who would have ever thought you'd get to that point? Yeah, it's you so. know it's fascinating too, and obviously NXT is a very different beast. But with Nakamura being a prime example, his first match against Sami Zayn, I was like, oh man, they're gonna let him like they're gonna let him go, like they're gonna let him do what he does. And to an extent, I feel like they have done that. But what they've done with him, and because it's such a different product, it makes a huge difference. But what they've done with him, you know, this year since since pretty much the Royal Rumble is has been incredibly disappointing, and you know, I, I still I, I'm glad that he won the Royal Rumble, and I think that that was a big big deal. But I also think that having him lose to Jinder Mahal like two or three times last year was horrible. I mean, it just made no sense to me whatsoever. Um, the thing that's great about him is that he is such a charismatic individual that he still connects with the audiences. So even though I might not like the Nakamura we're getting, the WWE audience is. And so it's hard for me to be too disappointed because I'm happy for him. But as a fan of his, it. it's difficult to watch sometimes. That's it. And, I mean, you see this with, um, say, movie stars who, say, Bill Murray. Bill Murray's a great example. Like, I uh, grew up with Ghostbusters and these. So, whatever, I've always got this soft spot in my heart. I want Bill Murray to be in a blockbuster. I will never go and see the film, but I want that <laughs> movie to make yeah. Bill Murray a ton of money. Right. So, I'm really happy when anyone goes to the WWE because they've chosen to sign that contract. Nobody goes into it blind. Everyone can see what the company is, who they are. They can see however much they're getting in their contract and they're making that choice. It's um, like a lot of people kind of decrying the fact that uh, I, I went there mm -hmm. um, because they're, they're terrified of, of what they're going to do with her. They won't let her be herself. Um, but not good for her. Yeah. Right? She gets to go and be seen by a completely different audience. She gets to go and develop as a performer, like different areas that, yeah, perhaps she didn't work on in, in stardom being put perhaps in this more theatrical environment, but again, working a, a brutal schedule. I mean, the NXT schedule is, is lighter than the main roster. I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's an it's an opportunity for them as performers because they're earning more money. They're learning to do something that they they weren't doing before, and everybody needs to grow. And I think that was one of the big motivations for Nakamura going there. It's like he's done everything he could possibly do, right? From you know, being the youngest ever um, uh, New Japan Heavyweight Champion, you know. Um, or the IWGP, sorry, <laughs> uh, heavyweight champion, um, you know, and then telling this 12, 13-year story in New Japan. So then, yeah, what, what else are you going to do? Yeah. You know, and so... It, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, it, it's interesting, it's selfish of me as, as, as a fan of his, because it's funny, um, 
for me, New Japan kind of was in third place behind like All Japan and NOAA and, you know, and then All Japan quickly receded after the split. But, you know, I wasn't paying a lot of attention to New Japan until Nakamura came along. And I remember reading something about him and then seeing a couple of matches and I was like, I like this guy, I'm in. So I've been a fan of his, you know, since the early days. And, um, you know, and, and he struggled even in New Japan, you know, trying to kind of find his place. And it was, you know, and I think a lot of that had to do with the MMA crap and, and you know, everything else that was going on. But that's just something that so many of those guys, unfortunately, got pushed into. And he was actually quite good at the MMA. It's not like he was bad at it's it. it. No, he, he really held his own, I think. Um, I don't, that, that, for me, was where he started to, to stand out. But yeah, he's, he's a guy who's got this legitimacy, this toughness. And um, I know uh, New Japan, for me, one of the first times I went over to visit Chris, um, what has it been, like 2009? We went to see uh, some G1 shows nice. in 2009. Nice. And, um, yeah, Goto at that time and um, Nakamura at that time. Yeah. Seeing the, the fever around Tanahashi <laughs> at that time, you know, taking his photo with the, the kids around him and just um, the atmosphere. You could tell kind of things were changing because you got these young um vibrant guys that people were connecting to and i think this one krakowin show particularly that was um i can't remember tanaka um and gaydo jado so you had people that you remembered or that i remembered i remember seeing um carl anderson mm-hmm. uh, masato tanaka um albert giant bernard <laughs> Um, so for me, that that connected with me because all oh, these are people that I know, and also these these guys who remind me of people that I know or things that I, I would like to emulate in the professional wrestling ring because they're they're badasses. I mean, proper badasses. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That was one of the things I think. Even today, you can still find those threads for people that maybe you know that that are that are like you know in their 30s or maybe even early 40s that are drifting away from the WWE product and then you see a guy like Liger and it's like oh wow that guy okay yeah you, you know you know who Liger is so there's still those sort of like connections those way the, those ways in and i think for me even um i'm trying to think i can't remember what year it was but there there was the you know, there's like the Muda um, Nakamura match and and then the Muda Tanahashi matches and the tag team matches that they have. And I think Muda, you know, that at that particular point in time, he did one of the best things he could ever possibly do for New Japan Pro Wrestling, which was even if he wasn't necessarily putting them over, <laughs> he was giving these guys the rub, and then he was kind of fading away. You know, he was not, he, he wasn't, he wasn't sticking around. It was just sort of like, I came and I did my thing. And, and yeah, he, you know, he had the All Japan stuff and the Wrestle 1 stuff. And I mean, it's incredible to me that he's still around even after double knee replacement surgery. But a, a, a guy like that had, has left an indelible mark on Japanese wrestling and wrestling in, in general. And so I think that for a fan um, that remembered him when I was like eight or nine years old, watching him wrestle Sting in WCW. Yeah. To see him now with these younger guys, it really helped to connect me with them and and, and get me invested in them early. Um, and I can only imagine what it did for a Japanese fan. 
so I, I think that, again, that, that sense of history that we were talking about kind of to begin the conversation is so important, and it's something that gets glossed over a lot of times in, in other promotions, either because, A, they don't have it, they haven't been around long enough, or, B, they just don't utilize it properly. Yeah. No, the role of, um, say, uh, Nagata on the... Um Young Lions shows last year and, and the work that he's doing with a lot of the younger guys, not just um, Nagata, but you had Tenzan um, and others. My brain has, has stopped working. <laughs> no um, but but no, how important it is yeah, for these young guys to gain legitimacy by seeing them go toe-to-toe with people from yesteryear. Like, oh, so you remember this guy, this is your definition of a pro wrestler. Okay, now here's a young guy who you've never seen before and he's going to go and, and he's going to go toe-to-toe and, and establish himself. Yeah. It gives them instant credibility. Yeah. yeah like right. the second they go in the match with or the ring with those guys, they're, they're credible opponents. Well, and here's, this is Paul will love that I'm about to bring this up. Uh, when Nakanishi I know where you're going. Earlier in, in <laughs> that Lionsgate project, he had that singles match with Oka and that match for, I mean, because Nakanishi, obviously, he's older, he's broken down a bit. He's not, you know, he's not the guy that he was at one time, but it's still, he's a former IWGP heavyweight champion. I mean, this guy's legit as they come. And to get in the ring with Oka and for Oka to get as much as he got in, I, I, that was, I mean, it was clear at that time. It's like the guy's ready for excursion. And now he's the great O'Karn. Great O'Karn, yeah. See, and he's uh, squashing people. He is, yeah. On Rev Pro, their their latest uh, batch of TV tapings, he uh, he was. I think he was in three matches, and he won all of them in like two three minutes, just squashing the guys. Which which is great sign because it means they've got to be building them up for something, you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, a lot of people are yeah critical of the gimmick, but I haven't haven't seen it. I've seen pictures of it. But um, you kind of got to see it. You really, the pictures don't do it justice because I mean, I'm a, my favorite young lion was Oka. I, I make no bones about it. When he first did the thing in Rev Pro, I didn't see it live. I saw pictures. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> but then when you see it, like the first time you see it, you're like, uh, okay. And then by the second or third time, you're like, okay, I like this. It's a little different, but I, it, it does hook you. So I, I would recommend not making a judgment till you see the actual like video of it. Or never. Great. Yeah. Great. Okay. So, okay. In the, in the interest of, of your time, um, I, I want to wrap things up, but I did say early on that we would at least touch on Joshi just a little bit. And I have to say, I saw your, um, artwork of Hiroyo Matsumoto, who is, is, is one of my favorite. I actually saw her live this past November, uh, cause she was here at Shimmer in Chicago. Um, who yeah. are some of your favorite Joshi talents, and do you have any favorite Joshi matches or even promotions that stand out? Um, you you, you stole my favorite, yeah. Um, uh, because like when you see, I again, like every time I go to to Japan, and that's it's become an incredibly expensive addiction. Have you ever been to Japan? No, unfortunately, not. Don't. No, it's not like yet. A tattoo. You know, the moment you get a tattoo, you want another one and another one, another one. The minute you go to Japan, you just have to keep going back. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm going back next Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> but every time um, I go, I try and go by um, Pile Driver, which is Suzuki's store in in Harakuju, and um, and she works there. And oh, wow. um, and uh, again over the the summer, she was just kind of uh, working kind of organizing things and telling people where to go and nobody knew who she was you know the during the yokohama show oh, yeah. so she, 
she's just the nicest human being, nicest, hardest working girl. And then she gets in the ring, and I, I sort of fight um, Azure Kong. Yeah. And I guess old time Azure Kong has to be up there um, as just such an enduring gimmick, and and again such a, a kind, warm-hearted person who just uh, puts everybody over and understands the business and is 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 just so generous and so warm. Yeah. Um, Dash. I always say it wrong. I always say Chikasa or Chisako. Dash Chisako. I like um, Sendai Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't know. No, Joshi at the moment um, with Stardom and Marvelous and Sendai Girls and Ice Ribbon and Pro Wave um, and Oz Academy. I, there's so many hot promotions um, that have their dedicated audience, that have people who who care so deeply about these people that if it was, again, transposed to the United States, I think there's, what, there's Shimmer? Yeah. And there's WOW? Yeah, WOW is having their first tapings next month. Um, yeah. And I don't know what to expect from... From that, because we we had an interview with Amber O'Neill, and we even talked to Tessa Blanchard a little bit, although Tessa didn't actually talk about it. Um, but in our interview with Amber, she was talking about her character, and so it mm. it seems as though it may be a little bit more. I mean, with the success of Glow on Netflix, it seems that it might be a little bit more in that vein, as opposed to Shimmer is sport, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. No, a lot of the advertising material for for WoW was referencing from the producers of of Glow. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's definitely something they're conscious of. But I, I think that for me, I'm I'm just lucky living where I live because Shimmer has been. I mean, Shimmer and Rise, in a lot of ways, are sort of my windows back into live wrestling. Because before I started going to the shows, I, pretty much all I was doing was just watching, you know, New Japan World and and the, the WWE pay-per-views. I wasn't even watching Raw or SmackDown anymore. Um, but the, but those promotions um, and, and women's wrestling were kind of my way back into watching live wrestling again, and, I, and I've loved Shimmer. And one of the things about um, Shimmer that is so great is that they bring in the Joshi talents. And last November, Aja Kong was there. She was incredible, you know, like you were saying. I mean, just mind-blowingly awesome and you know what a veteran and and medusa was there and they were doing an autograph signing and i i had watched um aja kong's cage match with bull nakano um the night before and i and i said something about it and and of course aja doesn't speak much english um and medusa translated which blew my mind i had no idea that medusa knew japanese i was like holy shit how about that uh, and it was, and it was just, it was this, this crazy little moment. Um, and, and she had an awesome match with Mia Yim. Um, um, Hikaru Shida, uh, was another Joshi talent that was there and she was incredible. I, I like immediately, I was like, man, she's, she's something else. I mean, Matsumoto was the star as far as I was concerned, but Shida was just like, wow, I've got to see more of her stuff. Um, but you're right. There's such a pl- proliferation of, of Joshi uh, right now, and, and the rosters are pretty deep. Um, and it's different than it was, you know, 25, 30 years ago, where the talent, you know, wrestled for a few years and then they were pretty much retired. You know, now you have people who are wrestling into their 30s and uh, and, and later. Um, and I just think it's it's one of those things that my hope is it it, it ends up. 
I know it won't. It probably will never be as big as New Japan is right now in the United States. But my hope is, is that the exposure does continue to grow because it's incredible stuff. But that's it. It's worldwide as well. I mean, you got um, Pro Wrestling Eve um, yeah. in the UK. And Bellatrix is um, known, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Stardom. I know Stardom took a hit because, uh, well, everyone saying that oh, they, they, they've lost all their top stars and so they won't be able to rebuild. But, like, if you're you're keeping up with the five-star Grand Prix at the moment, I mean, uh, they, they booked it really, really well. And it's not made new people, but established the people they already had as as real threats and interesting characters as well, like Konami um, has some heat this week for being a little bit stiff with an American lady. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it is what it is, and yeah. she is who she is. It's, it's established her... I think in a lot of people's minds as, as a stronger character and going forward, a lot of people know who she is now. So whether that was, was part of what happened or the intention behind being a little bit stiff. Yeah, um, it's not, you run with it. Absolutely. Anything to get your name out there, you go with. Um, Kagetsu's a superstar. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. You can go on and on. I mean, but it's, it, it's this, I mean, whether it will ever challenge, um, say New Japan, it, it definitely it, it has a dedicated audience, and that, that's the the benefit of having an entire show that you can base around your performers rather than throwing, say, women on for for one match in the middle of your show just because. Um, but again, I understand. I I don't know who I was talking to, uh, but that's largely due to say a lot of American independent wrestling companies will have your will have a combination of, of everything. They'll have a hardcore match, they'll have a, a women's match, they'll have a tag match, and this is because perhaps it's your one wrestling show that will come along in a month, and so you try and put as much as you can on that one show, and so you have a mishmash, something for everybody. Yeah. Um, you don't... You can't afford to, to go for a, a really, really niche, niche product, so you can't have say all all shooters or you can't have um all all women or you can't have all i, I don't know because whatever the perception is it's, it's considered a niche right. product yeah um yeah cool sorry no that's what we sorry about <laughs> so so um to to kind of switch gears and, and get us home here a little bit but have you um have you had a chance to watch the uh, road to destruction um, stuff that's been up on New Japan World? No. Okay. Well, <laughs> all I will no, I say is that for night two, which is actually the first night that's on New Japan World, they didn't uh, air the first night, uh, the main event, the tag match with uh, Ishii and Osprey. Uh, so good. Uh, so Ibushi good. and Omega is <laughs> incredible. I, it, it's, to me, watching that match, I'm like, wow, we're getting this match on a Road 2 show. Like... This is incredible. Um, so that's definitely worth your time. But as far as New Japan goes, and we were talking about contracts and everything earlier, this is sort of a two-part question. Kenny Omega, do you think yeah. that he has done everything he can do in New Japan and that now is the time for him to explore other options? Or do you think, and this isn't like should he stay, will he stay question. This is just you know asking your opinion. Or do you think there's still yet more for him to do and that, 
he would benefit, his career would benefit, and, and he, the wrestler, would benefit from staying in New Japan for at least another year? Uh, he hasn't main evented the, the Tokyo Dome with Ibushi, and I think he wants to do that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think a lot of people would, would like to see that match. I think he'd like to see that match. And I know that he was genuinely frustrated with the fact that the match that they had in the G1 was just a match and they didn't build towards it more than they they did or, or as much as they could have. Um, I, I, I think he'd like to have a match with Ibushi on a big stage. I don't think he, he needs to do anything else. He, I don't think artistically, but I mean, he's uh, an incredibly creative individual. Yeah. And... And again, it comes back to money, and it comes back to to his health and and longevity. And I think he's just interested in creative challenges. So whether it would be interesting or more interesting for him to start his own independent promotion with um, the Bucks and Cody and and the the All In crowd, whether a kind of super indie that would be an American liaison, New Japan and and the rest of the world. Um, I know that that would be interesting creatively, but mm-hmm. that, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what to say. I think, again, selfishly, I'd like to see him there because I like I like what he's done there, and I'd like him to to carry on. Um, because year on year, he's he's grown and he's considered. He's not got boring. He's not stale. He's with the belt. I'd like him to do more for the belt. Mm-hmm. I'd like the belt, I think, to do more for whoever holds it. And it's, it's real difficult for him because he's coming after uh, the greatest um, championship run, um, I think, of all time. Yeah. Okada, the greatest champion. Um, and I think now, if, if you ask me who I'm more interested in as a character, after winning the belt, it's, it's Okada. I'm more interested in, say, his journey mm-hmm. and how he rebuilds and, and how, what he goes on to do than, than at least at the moment with, with Kenny. Because I think if Kenny was just in the storyline with um, Ibushi and the, you had the, the Golden Lovers and you had the breakup of the Golden Lovers, I don't think they need the, I don't think they need the belt yeah. involved in that. And I think yeah. maybe moving the belt onto somebody else. It was lovely for the international audience, for people who perhaps only know Kenny Omega or, or have limited exposure to the rest of the product. I think it's great for them to see Kenny win the belt. And I love Kenny. I think he's a wonderful person. Um, from what I've, I've seen, I think, uh, again, going back to my brother, like he was over in his first six months there. I think he bumped into Kenny Omega, uh, who was also just kind of getting there with DDT. They bumped into each other in Akihabara, and um, they they took stupid photographs. So it's instantly, <laughs> yeah, I love it. You're nice yeah. to my brother. I like you. you know, so, so Make, yeah, it makes sense. That makes sense. So this is it. So I, I want him to to be happy, but I yeah. don't think he needs the belt. No, I'd like to see the belt on somebody else. So my, my fear. Oh, I'm sorry. I was gonna say my but, fear with Kenny. Well, uh, two things. Do you think the belt, like you said, the storyline after he won the title? Do you think that's maybe just a matter of timing? Because right after that, we got right into the G1, so they went. They transitioned from that. He didn't really get into any kind of a story yet. I mean, he had the Ibushi stuff, but it was more just G1. I'm curious to see now that the G1's over, how we build this up and what he does with it then. But mm. I guess my big fear with Kenny is just that he's not exactly the youngest guy, and that. If he looks at it, he's a guy who likes challenges. 
it, would it would it bother him to look back a couple of years and say, man, I, I wish I gave it one stab at the WWE just to see. And I think if that's in his mind at all, now is almost the time he has to do it. He has as much notoriety and publicity as he's going to get. He's especially coming on the heels of All In now. I mean, he is the buzz of the wrestling community in the Western audiences. If he's ever going to make the jump, it almost seems like now is the time to do it. Not that I want, I don't want him to, but I think that there's part of him is going to, I don't care what you do. If you're a performer, don't you at some point want to do it on the biggest stage possible? Yeah, but we're, we're getting to a point where the biggest stage possible is no longer necessarily the WWE. It, it still is for a certain audience. But again, if you are, it, it depends, I think, whether you're interested in that audience or not. I mean, he's definitely interested in, I, uh, no, I, I see the point that you're making. It, it, but, I mean, talking about, say, at WWE and, and doing things that you can only do in WWE, if he sticks with them through April, he'll get the main event, Madison Square Garden, which used to be a thing you could only do if you went to WWE. Yeah. Um, and, again, artistically, that's a thing that's a box to tick off. I know. I mean, I just look at AJ Styles, for example, and AJ had done all this great stuff all over the world, and then he came to WWE. But when you heard him interviews after WrestleMania, talking what it was like to be on a WrestleMania card for the first time, mm. and something that he always wanted to do, and no matter what you know the circumstances, just to have that and have done it at least once. If you're somebody like that, and you could say whatever you want about WWE, there's still that allure, is there not, of walking into an arena like that, a Cowboy Stadium with 100,000 people or 90,000 people at a WrestleMania. And like you said, that's something you can only do in WWE. I'm not trying to – and listen, I think WWE right now is a dumpster fire. But is there not that allure at some point? Yeah. No, it, surely. I mean, it's it, – I know for – it's something that we could only ever dream about or imagine. But, yeah, when we when we got into wrestling, it was it was probably a WWE match or WWE personality that, that transfixed us and got us into it. Um and so presumably the same is is true for for Kenny. I mean, I know that he went over to um, Japan because he, he'd seen the DDT clip, and so that that's why he wanted to go there. But when he was a kid on TV, presumably you get into wrestling through through WWE because that's it. I mean, whether you like them or not, they're they're your gateway drug. You're they're the yeah. ones that you get first. Yeah. <laughs> I you know I also think that that the investment that he has made in Japan and, mm. you know, the fact that he lives there, that he learned the language, that clearly he's kind of given himself over in so many ways and steeped himself in the culture. It, to me, while obviously anything is possible, um, I just think it says a lot about where his investment and intentions lie. And, I don't necessarily completely disagree, you, you know, with Paul, but I do think that if Kenny Omega has proven anything over these last two years, he's not going away. So his relevancy, his, you know, level of interest from other parties is not going to go away or diminish. And I think he'll be worth just as much money, if not more right now that he is right now, a year from now or two years from now. And I think, AJ Styles is the perfect example. You don't have to be 25 years old to start your career in the WWE. Um, you know, AJ Styles has had one of the most successful WWE runs of the past two years. And I, I think that speaks volumes um, about, you know, what 
potentially Kenny Omega could do should he go and be 36 or 37 years old. Um, yeah. But, I, 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 you know, who knows exactly what's going to happen. Uh, I, I think that the roster is so deep that, you know, stay or leave, it's not going to affect New Japan too much. Um, you know, I think kind of in some ways Nakamura kind of proved that. AJ Styles proved that, you know, two of their biggest stars leave and, you know, they've, they've been just fine. <laughs> um, do you have any, do you have anything that you're interested in seeing at the Tokyo Dome or any particular talents that, you know, you really want to have a big match or a key match? Um, yeah, well, going back, yeah, to what I said earlier, I'd, I'd love to see Zach, yeah. um, wrestle ideally Suzuki, um, but anything or even Sonata coming up from their G1 match. Mm. Um, I'd love to see Sonata break away from Los Angeles. And it's, it, it, I can't, again, I can't see them doing it because Sonata can't talk and, and you've got the greatest talker in the world as your mouthpiece sure. in, in LIJ. But I'd like to see them do something with Sonata because just um, the the guy, physically, the guy can do it all. And I'd love to see him push and, and get a, a real showpiece match. Um, but no, I mean, coming from where I come from and having wrestled Zach when he was 14, I'd love to see Zach That's awesome. in the Tokyo. It's, yeah. you know, it's funny that you mention like the Suzuki Zach split, because that's something that I was talking a lot about earlier this year on the podcast, but, uh, I've kind of started to warm up to the idea of the two of them making a real go at it in the world tag league and being tag champs. Um, That'd be great, right? I would yeah. love to see that. They work so well, yeah. well together. You could put, you could do that, and, and eventually that becomes the catalyst as to why they would split. You could have it both ways. Yeah. You get the best of both worlds that way. So, Matt, you, you you've talked a little bit about uh, being a wrestler. How how long have you wrestled, and where have you have you wrestled? Um, well, was a wrestler. Now <laughs> I think it's it's a couple of years since since I I did it. But no, um, well, we started out in an NWA affiliate in, in England, um, MPW. Okay. So that was, um, uh, trained by a guy called magic. Um, so that's, that's linked to NWA Hamelock. That's so what we, I was going to ask. Okay. We did a, a couple of shows, um, with them. Um, and, and then around England, around the Midlands of England. And when I came here, um, nobody, nobody wrestles in Spain, really. <laughs> there, there's no wrestling in Spain. You, you talk about wrestling and they go, oh, press and catch. That's Hulk Hogan. And you have to go all the way back to that. Yeah. Um, and so there was nothing um, until you look a little bit harder and you see, okay, there's, there's one company in Madrid. There's a couple of companies in, in Barcelona, but, you know, I'm up, up in the north. Mm-hmm. And, um, again, say the same trip, uh, 2009, I went to visit my brother, and he was doing stuff with hobbyists uh, in Tokyo. So he wrestling so much a part of the culture there. You just do it on the weekend. You have guys who like it, and they, they just do it. So this little group called was it, Kim, Kimpuro Pro. And I came back here, and I thought, well, I, I can't live without it, so I, I need to start my own company, you know. So I, I started my own company here and started running shows, you know, and I got... Um, uh, Doug Williams to come over, Joe Legend to come over, uh, Johnny Kidd to come over, do do seminars, wow. you know, ride a train 
people up here. Yeah. And um, so we, we were okay for a while in Bilbao until yeah, I had a terrible idea of booking a, a joint show with um, IPW UK. Um, so we had some some relatively big people come come over, and it just um, it, it was going to be the make or break thing, and uh, just everything went wrong for yeah. me, and I, I lost a lot of money, and um, it, it was a it was a break situation. So so after that, kind of stepped uh, stepped away from it. But um, no, for about five years, six years around England, and then two three years here after after a hiatus. Right on. That's that's very very mm-hmm. cool. I, uh, you know, to this day, it's one of those things that I always question. You know, should I have done that? Should I have tried that out? Should I have seen where it would have, you know, led me? But um, uh, you can always. I mean, you're never too old to do something in in wrestling. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Perhaps that that window where you might start on the career path to main eventing WrestleMania <laughs> or the Tokyo Dome. That's yeah. gone. But like the. Where you can do something in wrestling, because this is it. Wrestling is not just, yeah, the, the main event. I remember when we were, you know, my brother and I starting out. I mean, for we were training for a year, you know, but we were doing the music and we were mopping up the baby oil and we were putting up the ring and taking down the ring, yeah. you know. And you had all kinds of characters, you know. And um, this is it. Wherever your local indie is, go go down and be a part of it because. Any, anybody can be a part of it on some level. Right. Um, so a, as far as what you're doing now, uh, especially with the art and, and, and the commissions, obviously you were generous enough to donate a commission to yes. uh, to us to give away at StarCast, which we had a nice little trivia contest. And got quite yeah, a we challenging. Really can't thank you enough, too. Yeah, we thank really you can't. So very that was much. so cool, and it gave our table something unique. People walked by and saw the artwork that Sam had out that, and, and uh, asked a lot of questions. So that really let us stand out a little bit. So we can't thank you enough for that, honestly. No, no, no thank you for having me on the table because, like, yeah, I saw the photographs and oh, wow, they look nice there. And yeah, uh, on right? the table, <laughs> same table as um, Phil Singer Games as well. So. Um, That's right. I, I, I love those cards. I love those games. Nice. And um, again, like the. It's so funny. I'm actually, I'm actually waiting right now for the mailman because the my uh, best of the UK pack is supposed to should be here probably today, so my Zach card will be coming. Yeah, awesome. It's an awesome yes. card too. Pete Dunn's in that set. Tyler Bate, Trent Seven. It's a it's, it's a pretty awesome Andrews. set. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's funny too that you mentioned that because when I when I got the best of the Super Junior set, I was looking at it and I just thought to myself, I could totally just make up some stats and use this as the artwork and, and have my own little homemade best of the super juniors set of cards. <laughs> do it. No, I, I would, I would love that. Yeah. Um, no, getting into yeah card games or, um, I know I, ideally at some point I'd like to do a illustrated encyclopedia or A to Z mm. every wrestler everywhere ever. Wow. You know, and, and so I mean, for me with the, with the Twitter, I mean, it, it is that. I mean, it, I, I think I've missed a couple of days over the last couple of years, but it's um, every day somebody that perhaps you might not have heard of or definitely not the biggest stars from the WWE. Say a lot of fan artists would, would kind of go for that, get, get the biggest names and try and get the, the biggest number of people sure. to follow them or to like it. But I'm kind of more interested in being a news source or, or a way of, getting people to see people that, that they might not have 
otherwise have thought about or, or seen. That, that's important. You know, I, I really appreciate that you just mentioned that because I think for me, one of the, the joys about following you on Twitter is it's not just a piece of artwork. You know what you're what you're writing as well is, is is usually informative, and it's and it's something about what's happening. Um, it does it feels exactly like that. So I mean, if if that's what you're going for, it's it's absolutely hitting the mark. Um, now, it, yeah, I'm I'm looking at your Twitter right now. The last thing you put up is this great picture too of uh, Jumbo Saruta and Dory Funk Jr. Yeah, it's so good. And like you said, you, you give the, the write up is great too. His trainer Dory Funk Jr. and they tagged him, so definitely check check out your Twitter. It is great. Yeah. So speaking of which, Matt, where can people find you if they yeah. want to, you know, check out any of your artwork or maybe even commission a piece, pay you hard earned money for some amazing art? Um, well, Twitter, yeah, Shining Wizard DS. Um, Instagram, Shining Wizard Designs. Um, and yeah, send me an email, Shining Wizard Designs at Outlook dot com. Write to me. Some lonely. <laughs> nice. Did you um, did you see too? We, we I don't know if Sam showed you if you saw it. The person that won the commissioned artwork that you were generous. Yep. Did you see what he picked? He did, and I cursed. <laughs> I cursed. Like, well, how, how am I going to do that? I, I did that, and yeah, that'll that'll go up tomorrow. So that's um, great. That's, I did that. That's so well. cool. That, that's a cool. Point. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks to him. Yeah. No. Thanks to you, man. <laughs> thanks to you. Um, uh, Paul, is there anything else that you want to ask Matt before we let him uh, go? Um, trying to think. How surreal. I, we, we were talking. I, it was me, not Sam, because he was asleep. We were going back and forth on Twitter during the G1 finals because mm-hmm. I stayed up like an idiot live to watch it. How surreal is it, though, to hear your brother on the broadcast? <laughs> That's got to be pretty wild. Yeah. No, really, really, really. Well, I don't know because he's been – uh, a, a bit of a star uh, for a bit, and um, so gradually getting more and more accustomed to it. I, I remember kind of early on in the G1, um, uh, 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 not Tamatonga, help me, Fale came out and um, flipped his glasses off uh, <laughs> okay. when he was sitting at the, the announce desk, and it was a bit of a gif, kind of um, someone picking on my brother. So, yeah, instantly it was like, you, you take your hand off him. You know, I'm going to come over there and give you a scene, too. No, but, um, yeah, you say that till Fale's face. <laughs> running, running. No, um, no, it's, it's lovely. Uh, yeah, it's a bit weird, um, but the guy is such a professional and um, kind of yeah. – disconnecting and just focusing on what he's doing rather than that's my kid brother. Um, <laughs> no, nah, he's, he's, he's incredible at his job. I mean, a lot of people talk about, um, say Mike Tenet, mm-hmm. um, uh, just the knowledge that he drops throughout it's, it's relevant, it's pertinent. The guy's fluent in Japanese. God knows how, <laughs> um, he showed no inclination, you know, before he went over there. But yeah, this is it. Necessity is the mother of invention. <laughs> right? Just, uh, yeah, <laughs> he's thrown himself into it. Um, so no, I mean, just so so proud of him, and um, yeah, super surreal. But at the same time, now the guy's just good at his job, so it doesn't doesn't interfere too much. And it has to be great to be able, like with the eggshells, to sit down and do a project like that with your brother, where it's it's he writes in your artwork and it comes together in such a great package. It's something you got to be proud of, is it not? Love it. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly that. I mean, um, like I said earlier, I left home when I was 
um, young, 16, 17. So there was a while where we we didn't see each other, didn't have much of a relationship uh, wrestling because we were a tag team. We, we wrestled together. That was was the greatest time of my life because we were together focused on this this one thing. Yeah. And then he went to Japan and I'm down in Spain. So like, no, we see each other once every three or four years. But to have that focus, to have that project, also we're back and forth email in a professional way, but knowing that knowing that I was helping him do something that, that in the end was, yeah. was so important to him. I mean as a as a brother, as a family member, I mean that that was incredible uh-huh. for me. I guess my last question then is, is there any YouTube footage of you and your brother as a tag team? <laughs> or what was your, did you have a tag team name? Of, of course we did. Of course <laughs> we did. Yeah. Well, um, do you want to share that? It couldn't have just been as simple as the Charlton's, right? No, no. I, I should have been shutting Yeah, the Charlton boys. <laughs> I mean, no, we were rhyme and reason. Rhyme and reason. So nice. we wore masks. I wore a, a smiley mask and he wore a sad mask. And, uh, <laughs> We were the best thing you've ever seen. <laughs> nice. <laughs> they're kind of walking around the the, the YouTube footage. I, this is before YouTube was a thing, but I think there there was a little bit because eventually, of course, we had our incendiary breakup. And, um, <laughs> uh, who prevailed in that rhyme or reason? He's my younger brother, so he did. Of course, he did. <laughs> um, but but the good thing is it was a it was a mask versus mask match and. I'm prettier than he is, so in the end, I got to take my mask off. And um, so everybody's a winner. Moral, yeah, that's it. Everyone's the winner. Well, now we're just going to um, have to get Chris on the show for a rebuttal to that one. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the trailer to that that that's online somewhere. But um, yeah, look for that. Have fun. <laughs> nice, awesome. Hey, Matt, thank you so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. Was it. Fun. Yeah, it's, yeah it's thank been you a so blast. much. Um, but uh, safe travels. Enjoy, uh, enjoy Japan. And um, we look forward to getting the chance to talk to you again sometime and certainly uh, following your work and and seeing whatever comes up next. Oh, uh, you know, I feel like we should mention real quick that I did see that you were also contributing a not not the all the illustrations, but a piece of art to the the Pride uh, FC um, uh, history book that's coming out. Is that correct? Yeah, no, not not to the book itself. That was for their um, their campaign. Okay, they were. They were like a thousand euros short, and it was the last day. And I kind of thought, well, um, even if no one goes for it as a thing, it, it gives them something else to tweet out or push. Like so, so now I got in contact and, and offered that to the campaign. Okay. Um, so I think that one picture will go to some some backer somewhere. So, yeah. Right. Because I, 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 I had read about that. It might have even been through a link that you that you put. Because before a fall, the history of Pride FC is the name of the book, but, um, but I did notice that you weren't actually illustrating the book, but I didn't know if you were contributing a piece of art or if it was just for the, uh, for like, one of the perks the or whatever. The, the, okay, yeah. cool, cool. Well, again, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're, we're always on the lookout for whatever it is that you're going to be doing next. Cause, uh, we love your work and, um, I'm, I, again, I'm just enjoying the hell out of eggshells. So thank you so As much. Of my, yeah. And, uh, and hopefully we'll talk to you again sometime in the near future. All right. Well, thank you so much. No, I really appreciate it, guys. I've been really nice. Cool. Safe travels. Safe travels to Japan. All right. So uh, that was our interview with uh, Matt Charlton, uh, illustrator of Eggshells, A History of the Tokyo Dome, um, which, of course, you can pick that book up on Amazon.com, along with his brother Chris's other book, Lion's Pride, which Paul 
You love that book, don't you? I absolutely adore that book. Uh, I've been on the record numerous times. Um, it was one of those deals when I first, when you first got me to start watching New Japan Wrestling. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to jump into a new product. You don't know many of the wrestlers. You don't know any of the history, and it just served as a great resource to be able to fill in a lot of the backstory or know what was going on. Then it does it in a real accessible way. It really, it, it's a, it's a great read. Whether you, I, I think it's a great read, whether you're new to the product or an old vet to the you know and um so i adore that book and and i can't wait i couldn't wait to read the eggshells when it came out but like i've said in the podcast it's like the slowest read ever for me because i'm really like each chapter i'm listening to a companion podcast i'm googling stuff i'm wikipedia looking stuff up on wikipedia i figure if i take my time i'm absorbing it more than if i just blow through it oh yeah and i don't think it's any exaggeration to say that if you were to read lion's pride and then read eggshells or even if you just read eggshells and do it like you're doing you know doing the googling doing the wiking you know listening to the podcast you're going to come out of it with i mean like i i by no means know everything and, and, and you give me far more credit than i deserve sometimes when you talk about me being the historian and all that jazz well i mean but, the historian out of the two of us i'm not trying to claim that sure. you're this but you definitely know more about it than i do i mean i remember when you still lived in scranton so we're going back to 98 99 like right in that range when you used to try to get me to watch like the, oh, you got to watch this is the best of the death matches or you got to watch like you know what i mean so yeah. you've definitely been a, a fan of the product longer than i have um so i defer that, to your knowledge a lot and even that being said, though, I mean, I'm learning I'm learning a lot by reading this book, uh, Eggshells, and I think that, you know, it, it's kind of, uh, I think all three of us kind of agreed on this fact, is that uh, the stuff about the UWF and UWFI and a lot of the sort of the shoot-style wrestling federations, like, yeah, that has been so fascinating. And, you know, that piece about Misawa that I was talking about, I mean, there's just, if you read this book and kind of do it again the way that you were doing it, you're going to come out of this just with such an excellent working knowledge of Japanese wrestling and its yeah. history. I, I mean, from, from pretty much like 19, you know, 89 to present day. You Cause know? I think the, I think the Tokyo Dome was built and it was finished in late 88. I want to say, but here's the thing too. Like, even if you're new to Japanese wrestling, it's not, it's funny because as you progress through the book, it's not all Japanese wrestling. That's true. There, there are mixed shows. There's like some when, when it starts out. There's some WWE talent, but as you progress, it, there's a lot of WCW crossover. Mm-hmm. So because they had the agreement going for a while, so they were running shows at the Tokyo Dome that had a mix of talent. So you had some pretty. I mean, th- you've talked about it numerous times. I think there's a match too. Is it, is it not uh, Muda versus Sting? Yeah, it's on one of those yep. cards, and there's some great matches. And uh, that was another reason that I want to really each chapter digest and learn as much as I can about because there's some opportunities, especially with the WCW stuff, there may be an opportunity in the not too distant future to maybe discuss some of that stuff with somebody that might be pretty knowledgeable about that. I Um, hope so. But you know what I mean? And it's, but it's neat though, that some of the people, when you read that, that were on the card, we met. Because I think yeah. at one point there's like a thing about Kevin Sullivan as mentioned. I think we had a, yeah. a conversation. So it's it ties in nicely not only to what we do in covering New Japan, but it just cover it, it ties in nicely to just being a wrestling fan in general. It really does. I, and I, w- I will say this: when you start reading the book, the first couple of years are way more Japanese centric, which makes sense. 
But then they start to like you. You have cards on there where they talk about like Randy Savage is wrestling in the Tokyo Dome, or then right, Rick Flair is yeah, wrestling in the Tokyo. So it really does tie in in a nice way. And you know what? Kudos to them because Matt's artwork does really give it another dimension. I mean, there's parts there where, especially if you don't necessarily know exactly who the wrestlers are, or you're not super familiar, the artwork does create a mental image. And what I found myself is when you're reading it and reading about the wrestler, the image that's in my head is Matt's artwork of that wrestler. Sure. So it does, cause you know what I mean? It sounds funny, but when you read, even if you read a novel, a fictional character, you get a mental image that you create of that person in your head as you're reading it. But now it's kind of done for you, and it does it in a, in a really cool way. And they're these really nice, just they're they're black and white. They're just ink drawings, which I think is even better. It, yeah. they're, they're they're simplistic, but yet powerful. Well, uh, yeah, they they are. They're very evocative. And I don't mean simplistic I, I think... in a negative tone. I mean they're other. No, no, no. no. Uh, maybe simplistic's not the word I'm looking for. They're understated. Yeah, I mean the detail in the artwork itself is is fantastic, but yeah. they're not like these. They're not like, you know, these huge full figure pictures, they're portraits that, you know, but the thing, the thing for me, I think is that, they, like you said, they're, they're very evocative and to have the, I'm thinking right now there's a picture of Sting early in the book and it's like, as soon as I saw the picture, it like, it, it, my brain just fired off and it's like, I see that. I see the color, the face paint, the jagged, you know, everything, even though it's just a black and white ink drawing. You project that onto his image almost, which is an amazing thing. Like yeah. the chapter I was just reading, there's this great drawing he has of Baba with the robe on. Yeah. And it's, it's just fantastic. It really is. And you know what, though? What a, what a cool guy. What a cool guy oh, Matt yeah. is. I mean, that he really didn't have to. He did a, a, a huge favor to us by... Like I can tell you right now, no other table at Starcast was raffling off a piece of commissioned artwork. That was no. something that we were, and that was great of them to do for us. It really was. Yeah, I mean, honestly, between what Matt did for us and then what Phil Singer Games did for us, they were able to to give our table a very unique feel. Um, and that's not a knock on any of the other tables no. because some of the other tables, like the merchandise that they had for their own, you know, shows. You know, it was miles beyond ours, and, and it, was, it was just incredible stuff. But I think by having the artwork and having the trivia competition and having the Phil Singer game stuff there, it it, it made us have our own unique flair, yeah, which is really I nice. Mean, how many people walk by? Because not to sound bad, there's maybe ten shows, eight shows, I don't know, and and we're all kind of doing the same kind of deal. We're doing our podcast, we're interviewing talent, we're you know. But how many people walked by and stopped and looked at the Phil Singer cards or looked at Matt's artwork, and that was what drew them to stop? And then yeah. they'd ask questions about the artwork, and we told them you have a chance to win it. Or they looked at the Phil Singer cards and asked what it was, and you were able to show them the game and what it is. And then later, like as the day progressed, we actually had like tournaments and, and demos. And so it really brought eyes to us that maybe wouldn't have necessarily just stopped at our table, which was yeah. great. And, and the Phil Singer thing, the best part about that is – they, I know they created some new fans because they got me and my son now. And yeah. the, the joke around here is the stuff that they donated to us to give away, they're going to make way more money back in the end just on me. Because <laughs> I'm into I'm, – I won't say what, but I've, I'm into them over $100 this week for cards. Yeah. Now I just want them. I want them all. Oh yeah, so it's great. It is great. It's it's, it's an addiction. I, I totally get it, man. It's you know, I, but it's a lovely thing, and and I think uh, you know we're very lucky to have had that partnership. Yeah, we're very lucky to have had Matt on the show today, and yeah. and obviously I meant what I said. We'd love to have him back. I think 
you know, talking with someone like Matt, it's clear that he has a, you know, not only a love for the product, but uh, a knowledge, a deep knowledge of the product. I mean, you know, bringing up that Kenta and Kenta Kobashi match, uh, which actually I did a little research, is actually from 2004, Four? October of 2004. They did have another one, I think, in 2006. But the yeah, one they had one in about, March or May of 2006. But yeah, I know the one you're talking about. Matt, yeah, the one he's talking about is from 04. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I mean that was that was kind of a nice deep dive for us, and it's always a thrill when I get to talk women's wrestling, as you well know. So thank you for for giving us that. Oh, time. I know, I know. <laughs> but that's but, another um, thing I'm taking out of this uh, the conversation. I'm making a concerted effort to watch more women's wrestling, not just yeah. Joshi, but women's wrestling in general. And I think part of that too is like. I'm always envious in one way that you have such a huge advantage of where you live, not just in a big city, but in Chicago, you have so much wrestling around you. And for me, I mean, I guess I do because I'm like two hours away from Philly or two hours away from New York, but it's still two hours away. Like I can't just hop out. So I'm I'm envious of that. But, um, now, now with all these streaming services and, and everything, there really is so much more out there and it's so much more accessible to watch women's wrestling. So, like, you know, we were talking earlier, I'm going to sign up for a streaming service for something else just to get access to Rise. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, Rise is such an interesting and, and unique um, promotion unto itself uh, with, with everything that, that Kevin Harvey and the talent has been able to do mm-hmm. over the past year and a half. And, um, you know, I, 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 I think that ultimately what has come out of this past weekend with StarCast and All In with interviews like today, with conversations like we're having right now, is that, you know, we're a New Japan podcast, but we have a love of professional wrestling, of yeah. all professional wrestling. And it's not just, you know, I mean, we talk about specific things, but we often don't even get the chance to talk about, you know, progress or, or you know, ICW or WXW Yeah, because if we Germany did, we'd or, be on you know, here for five hours. Oh, I God. Mean, we cover New Easily. Japan. Ninety-five percent of our shows New Japan, and we go three hours sometimes. Right. And, and, and who goes to, like we go through? We'll be three hours next week talking about like the Road to Destruction tour. Who does that? I know. You know, but there's uh, a lot of good stuff. Uh, to talk another about thing that I can't wait. Like when we get off here, I'm actually going to sign up for Evolve's streaming service because yeah. I want to watch some of that. And you know, it was funny. They had a show last night, and I got on my computer today, and the first thing I did was I always go to WrestleZone to find out what happened, and there was this great little article. On WrestleZone about uh, Velveteen Dream. Uh, uh, did you know that was up? There was an article I, on there. About- I may, I may, I may have known that that article yeah. was there. Yeah, yeah. So, I had that going for me this morning. I don't know who wrote that article, but kudos to that man. It's, it's it's it gets beyond me. I don't know how that stuff gets made. No, uh, but uh, so- I do want to sign up because I, I think there's is the is Velveteen Dream Darby Allen tonight. Yeah, but the thing is, is the Velveteen Dream matches aren't televised. Are they going to be on demand, or...? I think they're for the live crowd only. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't have them eventually. Maybe even WWE will put them on their website. Because I I think, I could be wrong about this, but I think that they put the Cedric Alexander matches that he had last year up eventually. I could be wrong, though. I can't remember. Yeah, my hope is that eventually they just put Progress and Evolve all their stuff right on the network that would be a dream come true fingers crossed fingers crossed but hey um so this has been great uh we are going to be covering um the first night of road to destruction and talking about all 
There you have it, listeners, our conversation with Matt Charlton. Of course, uh, as he said, you can find him at Shining Wizard D's on Twitter. He's always posting just beautiful uh, ink drawings um, uh, of, of not only New Japan wrestlers, but Joshi Talent, uh, Noah wrestlers, uh, you know, his, historical uh, um pictures as well, you know, drawings of, of, of stuff that took place 20, 30 years ago, as well as things that might have happened yesterday. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for him because it's always great content. And uh, he's, you know, again, as you can tell, uh, insightful, very cool guy with a very interesting history when it comes to professional wrestling and, and Puro Risu. So um, thank you so much to Matt for being on the show. And again, we look forward to welcoming you back at some point. Uh, but that's going to do it for King of Pro Wrestling Podcast this week. Uh, again, uh, hit us up. Make sure you're hitting that subscribe button. Give us that five-star review. Um, you know, tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Why not? You know, we, we're open to that feedback. We want to get better. We want to grow. And, um, you know, we're just so thankful for all of the listeners and the growth that we've had over the past couple of months in particular. You know, G1 really brought a lot of new uh, ears onto the podcast, and we really appreciate that. So if you're out there listening, um, thank you so, so much for taking the time out of your day and spending a little bit of it with us uh, and we would love to engage you it's one of our favorite things to do on twitter so feel free to hit us up um but in the meantime this is sam i'm gonna sign off paul and i'll be uh back at you real soon with our destruction coverage we're really looking forward to that and then of course we've got fighting spirit unleashed to look forward to and our namesake king of pro wrestling thanks everybody talk to you later